The Nugent Report, the science behind health and nutrition. Welcome to this episode of The Nugent Report, a definitive source for objective information on health and nutrition, featuring Dr. Steve Nugent, the renowned psychologist, author, public speaker, and expert on science, health, wellness, and nutrition. Be sure to visit our website at drnugent.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Nugent Report. Welcome to The Nugent Report. I'm Dr. Steve Nugent. On this podcast, I'll be addressing questions related to iron supplementation, including who should take iron supplements, food sources for iron, how much iron is required daily, and how much is too much. I'll also address pregnancy and prenatals, as well as lactation. Finally, what are the risks of taking too much iron? Several of my subscribers have written in to ask, if they should take iron supplements? The short answer is yes if you need it, and no if you don't. Perhaps that's too simple, but there is much more that you need to know about iron supplementation. The fact is, iron is potentially lethal. Iron is an essential nutrient, and that means your body must have it, but your body is incapable of making it. Therefore, It must be obtained from food or food supplements. Unlike water-soluble vitamins that are flushed from the body if taken in excess, iron is a storable nutrient. If too much is stored, that's based on body weight, illness and death can result. For this reason, throughout my career, I have always been cautious about iron supplementation and typically recommended against it in Maltese, opting for proper diet recommendation or medical intervention where required. I'll explain that in a few moments. So the answer is not as simple as it seems. Most people have probably heard the phrase, figures don't lie, but liars use figures. Well, maybe that's a bit too harsh, perhaps for this subject. Because in many cases, it's not a question of a deliberate lie, but rather innocent misunderstanding or misinterpretation of the facts. On the one hand, the most common mineral deficiency globally is iron. But that's a bit misleading, because in modern countries, iron deficiency is not common. The total global figures take into account the populations of developing countries that may have insufficient food sources of iron. According to the World Health Organization, there are just over 1.6 billion people on planet Earth who are iron deficient. When that statistic was last updated by the WHO, or the World Health Organization, it was in 2008, and there were fewer people on the planet But the general averages remain the same today because world food source conditions remain approximately the same. According to the World Health Organization, preschool children make up 47.4% of the total and pregnant women make up 41.8% of the total of people included in all of the global numbers in iron deficiency. Pregnancy is not a chronic condition, and preschool children do grow up. 
The other significant issue is menstruating females, which I'll address shortly. When you examine the figures closely, you see that less than 25% of the people worldwide need iron supplementation. In fact, the World Health Organization says it's 24.8% globally. Some need iron chronically, but most do not. Turn that around and look at it from another direction, and it'll tell you that just over 75% of the world's population does not need iron supplementation daily. And because iron in excess is extremely dangerous, that's the first and most important of the arguments against including iron in a daily multiple vitamin mineral product. More is not always better. Too much iron poses a very serious danger. From 1980 to 1991, for example, iron in children's dietary supplements was the leading cause of death by poisoning in the U.S., for children six years of age or younger. Children's chewable supplements were cute and tasty. Those childproof caps proved not to be childproof in all too many cases. In 2020, the public was given a great deal of information about zinc and how important it is. However, the public was not told that too much iron can actually cause zinc deficiency. I'll come back to that idea shortly. For now, let's examine the World Health Organization figures for better understanding. If you break down the numbers according to age, gender, pregnancy, and available food sources, iron deficiency in modern countries with sufficient available food sources is rare without an accompanying medical condition. If you have an accompanying medical condition, you should be under medical supervision, not self-treating. Menstruating females do experience significant loss of iron during menstruation, but in most cases, proper diet selection can replace that necessary iron. In countries where those food sources are either scarce or unavailable, it does become a chronic health issue. And the supplementation, then, is required. Menstruation, under healthy conditions, occurs approximately once every 28 days and may last between 2 and 7 days, but it's typically 3 to 5 days of blood loss. The rest of the month, a woman's blood supply can be restored through dietary selection in the majority of cases. The average woman loses between 30 and 180 mLs, with an average of 80 mL for normal menstruation. According to scientific study, approximately 90% of women lose 1.4 milligrams or less of iron per day during normal menstruation. Eating 3 ounces of dark chocolate gives you 7 milligrams. With these stats in mind, only women with other medical complications or women who live in regions with insufficient food sources of iron need iron supplementation. One other exception would be vegetarians and vegans, and I'll get to that shortly. Then there is the genetic factor to take into consideration. 
According to the U.S. National Institutes of Health, National Genome Research Institute, approximately 10% of Earth's population have a gene for hereditary hemochromatosis, also known as iron overload disease. The people most likely to carry this gene are Caucasians of Northern European descent, but it is seen in other races as well. Having the gene, however, is not a guarantee that an individual will suffer from the disease. Hereditary hemochromatosis is typically abbreviated as HH, and the gene in question is called the HFE gene. Most cases of hemochromatosis result from a common mutation in the HFE gene. That mutation is known as C282Y. But other mutations have also been identified. A child who inherits two copies of the mutated gene, one from each parent, is highly likely to develop the disease, but it's still not a certainty. Those who carry two copies of the mutated gene and are symptomatic are referred to as silent carriers. Those individuals, of course, can still pass the gene on to their children. If two parents are silent carriers, it is estimated that there is an approximately 25% chance of a child inheriting two copies of the defective gene and developing the disease. According to experts, silent carriers may remain asymptomatic throughout their life unless they develop diabetes or alcoholism. Individuals with hereditary hemochromatosis require medical intervention. Without proper medical intervention, individuals with hemochromatosis can develop diabetes, heart disease, cirrhosis of the liver, liver cancer, joint disease, and even organ failure. If a person suffers from hereditary hemochromatosis, they require medical care, plain and simple. And the last thing you want to do is to have them take a multiple vitamin mineral product fortified with iron. What about anemia? People with iron anemia and abnormal menstruation also need to be under medical supervision. So, approximately 75% of the population will do fine with iron from food and simply don't need iron supplements. So, in my view, the majority of the world should not be supplementing iron unless they need it and most of those individuals need to be under medical supervision. They should not be self-treating. Then we come to the complications that can be caused by creating imbalances in your biochemistry. In nutritional biochemistry, there are things known as catalysts, synergists, and antagonists. As I've been saying for more than 40 years in my lectures, the key to wellness is balance and the body is always attempting to maintain homeostasis, which is simply a fancy way of saying balance. If your iron levels go up too high, you can drive down your zinc. And if your zinc levels go up too high, you can drive down your copper. It's important that diet and dietary supplements are part of an intelligently designed daily health plan with the goal of maintaining healthy, balance. 
The recommended dietary allowance of iron is listed on my website at drnugent.com, so I won't go into detail here. It's a common myth that females always need more iron than males. This is incorrect. Females between the ages of 14 and 50, as well as females who are pregnant or lactating, do require more iron than males at the same age. However, the rest of the time, males and females have equal requirements, and as an example, between the ages of 7 and 12 months, males and females both require 11 milligrams of iron daily, which is necessary for cognitive development, as well as other factors. Between the ages of 1 and 3 years, the iron requirements are reduced to 7 milligrams daily. Then, growth and development requirements again increase between the ages of 4 and 8 years, when the minimum daily requirement then goes up to 10 milligrams daily. Again, go to my website, drnugent.com, for more details. Okay, now you might be thinking, well, how much is too much? That's a question I get asked about just about every nutrient that we talk about. You've heard me talk before on previous podcasts about the tolerable upper intake levels, which is typically written as ULS. So uppercase U, uppercase L, and lowercase s. This is the maximum level that can be tolerated as identified by age and gender, as well as pregnancy and lactation for any given nutrient. Refer to the table at drnugent.com for specifics, but for both male and females from birth through age 13, the maximum safe upper limit is 40 milligrams a day. From ages 14 and older, the maximum safe upper limit is 45 milligrams. This is also considered the maximum safe upper limit for both pregnancy and lactation. You can consult the Food and Nutrition Board of the U.S. Department of Agriculture for further details. As I've been saying for decades in my lectures, more is not always better. Okay, so now you might be thinking, what food sources should you be eating to get sufficient daily iron? A list of foods provided by the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food Data Central is posted on drnugent.com along with this transcript of this podcast. Many people are happy to see that dark chocolate is an excellent source of iron. Some people are less pleased to see that beef liver is also a very significant source of iron. As is the case with a significant number of nutrients, animal products provide greater levels than vegetable products typically. However, if you take the time to educate yourself properly and do intelligent food selection, you can live a very healthy life as a vegetarian. The problem, however, is that many vegetarians do not take the time or effort to properly study diet and food sources and as a result frequently come up deficient in a variety of nutrients. I had a significant number of patients when I was in practice who were either vegans or vegetarians and almost universally the complaints and problems were the same. Deficiencies in iron, 
B12 and folic acid, were most common, but not exclusive. Regardless of your dietary philosophy, you're first a person, and then whatever other label you choose to wear. People, regardless of their dietary philosophies, tend to choose foods that they like to eat. And surveys show us that people tend to narrow their diets as a result. When it comes to healthy diet, variety is extremely important, and most people simply don't do it. I would point out one of the principal differences between vegans and vegetarians is that vegans tend to be highly disciplined and very aware of nutrition sources in food, whereas vegetarians, more often than not, have simply adapted a fad or a philosophy and do not take the appropriate steps to protect their health. Even though they boast to their friends that they are smarter and have made healthier choices because they choose to be vegetarian, so vegetarians in general can often benefit from some education from vegans. I'm not going to run down the list on this podcast of every food and its iron content. Just go to my website, drnugent.com, and if that's not sufficient, consult the Food Data Central website of the U.S. Department of Agriculture for more information. Animal protein and organ meat always contain iron, because iron is essential to life. When I say animal protein, I'm not just including land mammals, but also seafood and fowl. Generally speaking, the redder the meat, the higher the iron. For the vegetarians, you'll be happy to know that lentils, spinach, tofu, and kidney beans all contain significant amounts of iron. So it's definitely possible to maintain healthy levels of iron on a vegan or vegetarian diet if you know how to select your food correctly, and that is key. As is the case with many nutrients, vegans and vegetarians are always towards the top of the list of people who may experience mineral or vitamin deficiency. I say it in that order because minerals occur in very low levels in vegetables. Scientific study also shows us that even with minerals from food, the absorption rate and bioavailability is relatively low. We also know that the majority of people, with the exception of vegans and vegetarians, do not consume sufficient levels of vegetables, or for that matter, even fruits. I invite you to listen to my podcast on zinc, to learn why it's crucially important that you do not drive down your zinc levels by taking too much iron. Who's at risk? As I've already outlined, pregnant women, infants, and young children, as well as women with abnormally heavy menstrual bleeding, are at risk of having insufficient iron or perhaps even developing iron deficiency. Also at risk are cancer patients, people who have had gastrointestinal surgery, people who suffer from gastrointestinal disorders, patients with chronic heart failure, and of course, vegetarians. With the exception of vegetarians, all of the groups previously mentioned should be under medical supervision and not self-treating. 
I didn't mention one of the obvious categories, and that would be individuals who regularly donate blood. Obviously, they need to rebuild their blood supply by supplementing iron or increasing foods in their daily diet that contain iron. It's important, in my view, to spend some time discussing the issue of prenatal supplementation, because I'm frequently asked by women who only want to take natural supplements and as a result, do not take the prenatal multiple vitamin mineral products from their doctors. My strongest possible recommendation is that if a woman is pregnant, she needs to be under medical supervision and she needs to take a prenatal vitamin mineral supplement as directed by her physician. Do not, I repeat, do not compromise on this. If you examine a prenatal side-by-side -side with the average multi, you will see some obvious differences. A child's life is literally at stake if mom does not provide sufficient nutrition to the fetus. There has been a great deal of discussion about folic acid deficiency and birth defects, but I've run into very few women who have been educated on the risk of low iron during pregnancy and lactation. There's a portion of the brain that requires iron to form. If a child in the womb is shortchanged on iron, they will be shortchanged for life in terms of reaching their full cognitive potential. Low iron during pregnancy can also impair behavioral development in children. Don't let that happen. The most common and obvious problem observed in women who have iron deficiency during pregnancy is premature birth and low birth weights. The U.S. National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey found that even in the U.S., where food sources of iron are abundant, that 18% of pregnant women were iron deficient. The need for iron approximately doubles each trimester of the pregnancy. Ladies, take your prenatals as directed by your physician. No compromise, period, full stop. I'm not going to spend time to discuss natural versus synthetic in this podcast. I'll do this in a future podcast. But my subscribers know that they can trust me to give them objective, validated information for their health. There is no science whatsoever, if you know how to read the science, that indicates that a prenatal would be dangerous, and yes, they do contain synthetics. There's also a big misunderstanding as it relates to natural versus organic minerals in terms of absorption. In fact, you will likely be very surprised when you hear the facts. Once again, I'll cover this in another podcast, but for now, ladies, take your prenatal as directed. You'll be doing a significant favor for your child, not just to get them through the birthing process, but literally for the rest of their lives. There's a great deal more to discuss when it comes to the benefits and potential risks of iron supplementation, but this is a podcast 
not an encyclopedic reference. You know the basics right now, and you know why throughout my career I've recommended against supplementing iron daily unless you fall into one of the categories previously mentioned. Virtually in all of those cases mentioned, except for two, the individuals who need iron supplementation should also be under medical supervision. If dietary supplementation is required, then it needs to be done safely and effectively. Sometimes, like it or not, this means you need to be under medical supervision. So, looking at global statistics, it's clear that more than 75% of the world's population does not need iron supplementation, and there is a potential risk with excessive iron intake. For this reason, iron supplementation as part of a general multiple vitamin mineral support program simply doesn't make sense. I hope you found this podcast enlightening and important for your health needs. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Nugent Report. Until next time, this is Dr. Steve Nugent urging you to be safe, be sensible, and be objective. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nugent Report. Visit our website at drnugent.com for more objective facts about health and nutrition and email your questions and feedback to info at drnugent.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Nugent Report. Stay informed. Get the facts with The Nugent Report.